The switchboard for manipulating the wires was about 34 inches square. The brass connections on it were black with age, with the arcing effects of lightning, to which young Edison seemed particularly partial to Louisville. It would strike on the wires, he says, with an explosion like a cannon shot, making that office no place for an operator with a heart disease. Welcome to The Burrow. I'm your host, Brooke Darty. That passage was from Edison, His Life and Inventions, which I used while researching his electric setups at the Southern Exposition. It was written while he was still alive by Edison's colleagues, so there were a lot of interviews. I found so much more about his past in town, I thought it deserved an entire episode. After the Civil War, a 19-year-old Thomas Edison traveled around the country working as a telegraph operator. He landed in Portsmouth, Ohio, near Cincinnati, where he was promoted from a lower-level plug operator to what he called a first-class man. Of his advancement, he said, I went to work on my regular day wire, and there was a considerable excitement, but nothing was said to me. About 3 p.m., he, Mr. Stevens, went to the hook grabbed the bunch and looked at it as a whole without examining it in detail, for which I was thankful. He walked over to me and said, Young man, I want you to work the Louisville Wire nights. Your salary will be $125. He was still in Ohio, but this was his first real contact with Louisville. Fairly soon after his promotion, he headed south, not to Kentucky, but to Tennessee. His eventual move to Louisville came after being discharged in Memphis for working on an auto repeater without permission. Edison arrived in Louisville on a bitterly cold day, underdressed in a linen duster. He even describes how there was ice in the gutters. He immediately obtained another press telegraph wire while his traveling partner was not so lucky. With a need for good operators high, many people were given second chances, but that unfortunate fellow had too risky a record to hire. Edison did leave Louisville for a bit, traveling to New Orleans with two others to catch a boat to Brazil. The departure was postponed as the New Orleans Massacre of 1866 had occurred on July 30th. Uh, Republicans were marching at the site of the State Constitutional Convention for the repeal of the Black Codes. Those were laws created to suppress the rights of recently freed slaves and other people of color. The group of mostly African Americans was accosted by a group of white Democrats, resulting in the injury of at least 150 of the Republicans, with 44 black deaths and one white death. Save any of the political comments, the party slipped in the 60s, so this is probably more than you needed to know in this case anyway. Back to Edison. He and his companions made it to New Orleans, but could not board the steamer bound for Brazil as it had been seized by the government. While inquiring at another shipping office about different vessels, the trio met, and I quote, an old Spaniard. (laughs) When they told him about their intent, he dramatically waved a finger at them and insisted leaving the U.S. would be the worst mistake they could make. Edison took this as a sign and headed back to Louisville. I only found one reference to the old man, but 
It was in the book written by his colleagues while he was still alive and contained direct quotes from the man himself, so I believe he believed it. Edison did find out some years later that the other two had died after contracting yellow fever in Veracruz, Mexico. After that, Edison returned to his job at the Louisville Western Union office to find upgrades not only to the equipment but also a much more comfortable office. He once again took up the press wire. According to Edison, his life and inventions, he remembers very distinctly taking the presidential message and veto by Johnson of the District of Columbia bill. Now, this was not Lyndon B. Johnson. This was Andrew Johnson. <laughs> so when this came through, Edison gave each printer three lines to make it much more efficient for the newspaper offices. Apparently, it earned him gratitude of editors, a dinner, and all the newspaper exchanges he wanted. I assumed exchanges were just copies, but AmericanAntiquarian.org gave me the full story. In the 19th century, newspapers received preferential postage rates in the mail, and newspaper publishers could exchange their papers with other publishers without any postage at all. The exchange system gave small newspapers free access to news from nearly everywhere. Edison would wake up and read all the papers until dinner time, keeping himself informed on everything from U.S. Congress to bread prices in various markets. So while in Louisville, Edison perfected a vertical style of writing which allowed him to copy down the wire messages faster. It became popular not only with telegraph operators, but also teachers. And working in a telegraph office, you had to write so fast as you were given 35 to 40 words per minute. Some people can't even type that fast now, let alone write that fast. Once I get started, I can type about 65 to 70 words a minute. That's neither here nor there. Trial and error allowed Edison to find the fastest way of writing, and the style he came up with had little tilt to the letters, and they were all written separately with no flourishes. He also found the smaller the letter, the more rapidly he could write. <laughs> Edison continued using that style of writing probably until he died, but all I have proof of is 1910 when his life and inventions was written. Um, I posted what was then a current example that was in the book on the blog, so check it out. Although Edison's co-workers were quite wild with their drinking and carousing, he preferred to stick with his books. He only hung out with them as the sober friend guarding the alcohol money. <laughs> During Edison's first stint in Louisville, one co-worker showed up at 2 a.m. and wrecked the whole office. The golden boy of the day shift, Billy L., reportedly ripped out equipment, knocked over the wood and burning stove, and piled all the tables from the room on top of it. Then he pushed all the batteries onto the floor before leaving. Acid leaked out of the batteries and ate up the accounting books in the room below. Edison told the op operator working with him not to do anything. So then he cobbled together temporary instruments to finish up their work. The inebriated operator wasn't even discharged. Possibly because of the great need for operators, or maybe because he was friends with the manager. Edison may not have been as overindulgent as his co-workers, but that did not save him from being fired sometime after he returned from New Orleans. He seemed to be satisfied enough with Louisville, reading his books and newspapers, uh, writing a critique on electricity, and as well as experimenting. It would be the latter that would be his undoing. 
One night, while on the job, Edison went to the office's battery room to acquire some sulfuric acid for an experiment. Not only had the office moved to a nicer place, as stated before, it also obtained the new equipment, which the manager explicitly forbade operators to move or use for non-work-related endeavors. This didn't bother Edison as he snuck in to steal some acid. One thing led to another, and the bottle tipped over too far, and acid poured out onto the floor. Like a scene in a movie, it leaked through the floorboards into the manager's office below. It ate through his desk and the carpet. Edison describes his last day. The next morning, I was summoned before him, the manager, and told that what the company wanted was operators, not experimenters. I was at liberty to take my pay and get out. <laughs> With that, the young inventor left the bluegrass for his parents' home before making his way to New Jersey and Menlo Park. Of course, not all the stories about Edison and Louisville made it into the book of his own words. A few area legends persist to this day. Local historian Carl Kramer tells one about the possible last time Edison visited Louisville. There's a legend or tradition that Thomas Edison came to the exposition to be honored. The legend goes that when he got to the exposition hall, he discovered that the power system had been broken down. Since his company had supplied the power, he felt a responsibility to get it back into working order, so he immediately went down to the bowels of the exposition hall and joined the workmen, who were trying to put it back together. When Edison finally emerged and the problem had been repaired, he was grimy from head to toe, looked anything but a celebrity, but then he was cheered and joined the table and presumably finished the dinner. As I've said before, I could not find where Edison was actually showed up at the Southern Exposition even after his system had won four awards or medals. As I also mentioned, I did find in the Courier Journal newspaper who was rumored to be coming to oversee the installation, but no further mention in connection with the exposition. Being as he was one of the most well-known people at the time, any sighting of Edison, especially one of him acting like a regular blue-collar worker, would have been splashed across the papers. Too many lesser famous people were mentioned throughout the exposition for Edison to be excluded. All the mentions of old T.E. showing up seemed to appear after Kramer published his book, or about that time. Although I'm sure more research could narrow it down to this particular story, whether or not it was before the book's publication. Obviously, a reason people would have thought that Edison would show up at the exposition would have been that he lived in Louisville in the 1860s, as we just discussed. A reason why people still think he came back, there's a historical marker in front of a museum named after him, and it showcases his life, which states, Designated the official Edison Museum in the Commonwealth of Kentucky by an act of the General Assembly, 1982. Thomas A. Edison lived in Louisville, 1866-67, to 67, moved to New Jersey, where he perfected the incandescent light. Edison returned to Louisville in 1883 for opening of the Southern Exposition, where 4,600 of his lights were on display. See over. Thomas Edison, Butchertown House. Edison, 1847-1931. to 1931. Rented a room in this house. As a young man, he conducted experiments, often all night, then walked to his job as a telegraph operator at 58 West Main Street. Experimenting at work, he spilled acid and was fired. 
He left Louisville and later developed over 1,000 patents for such devices as the phonograph and the microphone. In Louisville's Butchertown neighborhood, the small shotgun duplex from the 1850s claims to be the former home of Thomas Edison. The Thomas Edison house is now a museum dedicated to his legacy. It is possible he did live there, as it was several blocks from the Western Union office, but there isn't any hard evidence either way. Many of Edison's inventions, including cylinder and disc phonographs, incandescent bulbs, and motion picture artifacts are on exhibit. Check it out if you're in the area. It has some cool artifacts and the mission is under $10. Just know the marker is wrong. It suggests Edison experimented all night and then walked to work. He worked what we know today as a third shift or graveyard shift. I mean, Edison even explained how he would experiment at work because it was where he had available equipment. He also mentioned in the book sleeping four or five hours a night. I mean, I could do that at 19 too. Now, not so much. Another story asserts Edison may have returned after he passed. Old Louisville residents claim his spirit roams the former exposition grounds. In the early 90s, 1990s that is, a couple claims to have seen the ghost one afternoon and I quote, a gentleman who looked just like Thomas Edison materialized out of nowhere, looked around as if lost and then vanished. What I'd like to know is, they see young Edison or old Edison. I mean, I'd say more people are familiar with the white-haired man with a receding hairline from the 20th century, not the 36-year-old who perfected the light bulb and created the phonograph who would have been in town for the Southern Exposition. If he had been here during 1883, he would have looked more like Matthew Perry at the end of his stint on Friends. If you don't believe me, take a look at the blog for proof. So, they could have seen his, his ghost, if you believe in that kind of thing. And I'm not so sure, because there are a lot of things that happened in that neighborhood. <laughs> Some of them we will definitely get to, so hold out for that. I will end on another quote from the man himself. Uh, published in Edison, His Life and Inventions, about the aforementioned Courier-Journal's editor. I remember the discussions between the celebrated poet and journalist George D. Prentice, then the editor of the Courier-Journal and Mr. Tyler of the Associated Press. I believe Prentice was the father of the humorous paragraph of the American newspaper. He was poetic, highly educated, and a brilliant talker. Tyler was a graduate of Harvard. After the paper had gone to press, Prentice would generously come over to Tyler's office and start talking. Having time while in Tyler's office, heard them arguing on the immortality of the soul, etc. I asked permission of Mr. Tyler if, after finishing the press matter, I might come in and listen. Tyler had a sideboard with liquors and generally crackers. Prentice would pour out half a glass of what they call corn whiskey and would dip the crackers in it and eat them. Tyler took it sans food. One teaspoon of that stuff would put me to sleep. Now, remember the name George D. Prentice. Um, he will come up later on, because 
That was a good way to put it. He was not necessarily the kindest of people. Well, actually, have a statue, and there's a debate of whether it should be removed or not. It's not even part of the Confederate statue debate. It's just because he wasn't very nice, and it's in front of our main library, and I see it all the time. So, uh, we will get to him later. Don't you worry. So, I just want to let everybody know that episodes will start to drop every Sunday. Some are going to focus on single events, people, or just articles I found right researching. So, join me next week to hear about articles found alongside Southern Exposition information. Then, in two weeks, join me for an episode, probably two maybe three, about the DuPont family's impact on Louisville. So, if I do multiple episodes of the DuPonts, there won't be any kind of other stuff in between. Otherwise, I'll try to throw in all the little fun things that I found in between stories. So, join me again next week. Um, don't forget, you can find me on Facebook on and on Twitter at Burrow Podcast. You can email me at burrowcast at gmail.com or you can find me on Blogspot under the Burrow Podcast. Um, I put lots of pictures there and uh, take a look. See, tell me if you think that Thomas Edison looked anything like Matthew Perry. I tried to find a good picture, but most. There wasn't a good picture with the hair and the face looking sort of the same. But trust me, I mean, if you put them, make an amalgam of Matthew Perry pictures, it's there, I promise. So thanks for traveling down the rabbit hole on the burrow. <laughs>